Hello, and welcome to the Ecommerce Source Podcast. My name is Andy Solhoff. I'm here with my friend and business partner, Tim McDougall. Tim, how are you this morning? I'm doing good on our on our holiday, not holiday broadcast here. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, as we as we sit here, is it is the Easter holiday uh, in in the U.S. It's good Friday, and, yeah, and weekend. So we are uh, recording on a day where a lot of people are not working. As it turns out, well, the funny part is about this is. In our attempt to act more like a big company uh, and act like grownups, Andy be, put together a nice 50-pound bosun, which is the, the company that we both work for that puts this on. Holiday schedule. So we had a holiday schedule we issued to all of our team, and everybody ignored it. Uh, we had our morning stand-up this morning, and I had to tell the team, hey, do you know today is an official holiday for our company? And nobody knew that. That's funny. Everybody came in for the stand-up. Everybody has meetings scheduled today, so we'll take a floating holiday later. So yeah, yeah we this is our holiday, but not a holiday, not a holiday special broadcast. It's also our first broadcast of Q2. So what we wanted to cover here, last week we went through everything that happened in Q1 on Amazon because Amazon went through a slew of changes and there was a lot of detail and it was a longer podcast than normal, but a ton of good stuff. And then today. We got together a team and thought, well, let's talk about what we're looking forward to most in Q2, not just Amazon, but overall. Mm-hmm. But first, Andy, I'm going to throw a trivia question at you and see if you get stumped by it. And this relates to a topic later. But the question is, um, what was Amazon's share of the digital ad market in 2016? That's the year 50 Pound Boson, our company, was created. Um, and as background, Amazon's share of the digital ad market Last year in 2022 was 13.3%, and this year it's projected to be 14.6, growing. Um, and that's number three behind Meta at 24% and Google at 26%. So, what was Amazon's share of the digital ad market in 2016 when we first started selling e commerce products, Andy? I'm going to say maybe 1.5%. 1.6%. You cheated. I'm declaring, I'm declaring shenanigans. It's one point six percent is the actual full transparency. Answer the answer is not in our show notes here. I was, I was. No, I kept it out of the show notes because yeah, I, I was legitimately asking a question on that one. I just, I just remember, like you know, going back. To, I mean, I started uh, whatever five plus years, five ish years ago with fifty pound bosun, and thinking back then, you know, the emphasis when I started five years ago was all on Facebook because that was the that was in twenty sixteen yes. the golden era of Facebook ads. Yeah, really. Was, oh, 2016 was when, when we first, and that's just, and I put that down here just as a note, because we're talking about what's kind of changing and going evolving in Q2, but a note towards what's evolved since we started this, because we were even, for most Amazon products, because we spent a lot of time on Amazon products, we advertised on Facebook pushing to Amazon yeah. more frequently when we advertised on Amazon back in 2016, because uh, Facebook was such an easy platform and easy because there's a lot of unethical things they were doing, it turns out, <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. You could you could target super tightly. Um, you didn't have, you still had the wall up back then of Amazon couldn't tell you if something sold, but you had all of Amazon's data and you could yeah. look at what kind of sold when traffic pushed in. Well, and Amazon back then, I think they probably only had sponsored products. They didn't have sponsored display, no sponsored brand, no yeah, sponsored their, video. Their ad uh, offering was, compared to today's, very primitive yeah. um, and fairly expensive. Um it was not cheap and they had fewer ad positions too, right? So mm-hmm. um, that's good or bad because now it's it's cheaper, but there could be four ads ahead yeah. of the organic the listings on drops, things. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, it was only 1.6%. It was tiny the, back then. The, the question in my head was like, is it over or under 1%? And I'm like, I think it's probably got to be, had to have been yeah. over 1%, but I just couldn't. So I, I'm, you know, every, you know, uh, Blind squirrel finds a nut every every now and again. One point five, one point six. So one point six twice a day, right? <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so let's 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 jump into it, Tim. I mean, I think this should come as no surprise. One of the uh, topics that we are most excited to kind of watch and and see how it influences things and and we'll be actively pursuing in Q two is artificial intelligence. Well, and my question here wasn't just, hey, I'm going to watch the topic, but is this the quarter when we move into a more serious discussion about it? And mm-hmm. I think. You know, and this is really recent. In Q4, ChatGPT came out and everybody went uh, AI crazy <laughs> for a little bit. And yep. it was more like, what's this curious shiny object? And it was more plain with it of, mm-hmm. can, I get it to, can I get it to do silly things? Can I get it to write a term paper? You know, we did a whole episode on getting it to write Amazon listings, for example, and things that we could do for e-commerce. But it was, you know, it was a lot of fooling around with it yes. is what I think the majority of the community did. And in Q1, we've seen some real uses of it, um, but it's still regarded, it's still being treated more as a novelty more frequently than it is as a serious tool. I think AI is coming in on this. I don't, I, this is not a, is AI real or is it going away? Is it a fad? It's not, it's yeah. coming. Yes. And my question is more about, <laughs> is it going to happen in Q2, 2023? In, in Q2, is <laughs> yeah. it like, are we yeah. going to see some real things happen in Q2? And there are real things happening. I don't want to say there aren't, mm-hmm. but still more of the uses are, are silly uses of AI that I tend to see or things that are people just kind of kicking tires, not. Well, and I think that's the, the, the use is always on the fringes and and it's like, you know, I I believe strongly right now that there are people out there that are connecting, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, content creation and in images and things like that, that are creating a tremendous amount of of value and site traffic and, and saving time and and things like that. And, I'll be honest, you know, the the rate at which we went from, hey, here's this newish uh content generation tool with Chat GPT to uh holy smokes, uh there's uh so many really great use cases for this that can help businesses I, it, to me is pretty pretty shocking cuz yeah. you know, sometimes you see things and you go, well, okay, yes, this will be a thing in a year, two years, three years, but uh, I think I think yeah, it's how many it's really ad here. platforms have come and promise big things and gone without it leaving a splash. Yeah, exactly. But here's, let me just run down kind of some of the issues and things we're really, we, you know, we're already using it for some or we're focusing on in Q2 are using it for content creation. And, and the question for me there is, it's not can it create content, it can, but can it create good content? Because um, most of the content I've seen coming out of Chet is either mediocre, it's okay, it's average, uh, it's just faster. Is it, is it can it create good content or is it just fast at creating mediocre to crap content? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a ton of crap content that people, you know, it's good as your prompt. If your prompts are crap, you're going to have crap content. Mm-hmm. If your prompts are good, you can have mediocre content. And in some cases, a lot of mediocre content is what you're trying to crack out and saving the time is worth it. Yep. Um, I think some people are using it to replace where they need really good content sometimes. And it's generally not up to the challenge on that yet. Yeah. So it's, it's, do we see people use it the right way? Um, you know, it has big SEO value. I think it can fill out a decent like Amazon listing mm-hmm. um, copy, but then you need to go back and edit it. So, I, and I've seen some unedited stuff from 
people are posting from like ChatGPT, and it right. sometimes has some really just really funny stuff in it, funny yeah. stuff or wrong stuff in it, like yeah. stuff that's just bad that obviously wasn't edited. Obviously, somebody ran the prompt, cut and paste, moved on without even reading it. <laughs> yep. Um, and you see a lot of that. So at, at the other front for me though is doing AI for images with prompts really well. And you and I were talking about this the other day of how do we connect up? Yes. What's the right way for at our scale, for example, or the scale of many of our our partner clients that we work with, um, to use the chat GPT prompts to feed that into an AI image generator to produce product images and advertising images much more efficiently than we can do right now. Yeah. And that that's not inconceivable. We could get a solution in place for that in Q. I mean, people have already solved it, right? It's a question of how many dollars you want to put at it and what's the yep. right thing. But that's not it's not inconceivable that that becomes a practice that becomes a much more frequent thing in Q2 for us, right? Yep. It may not. It may be that, hey, the platform we need to use from images to make it good enough is way out of scale for what we can do right now. Yeah, and I think that's a, I see enough stuff on, on Twitter or different forums where it's like, this. if this is legit coming from an AI image generator, I can't imagine that we, we wouldn't. It's just kind of how do you crack that code? It, if I was trying to create heavy metal album covers from the 70s, <laughs> yeah. I could create tons of great images already. I've seen tons of right. AI image prompts that have created like things that looked like a, would look like a great Molly Hatchet album cover. <laughs> but that's different from saying I need this product in this position in this environment and things like that. There's so one person in this studio who uh, understands who Molly Hatchet is. And oh, uh, I just uh, maybe I need to go uh, we'll, educate we'll myself. To, we'll but... have to do a little education <laughs> on Southern rock, uh, redneck music <laughs> later <laughs> <Yes>. on. <laughs> with all love for the redneck music. Um, so, yeah, I'm uh, I'm there with you. I think uh, this is something I do think we're we're going to. We'll have another topic on this yeah. in the podcast for sure. And, and worth pointing out, one of the things that was interesting, and Parker brought this up on this, was uh, so my Amazon guy who's on, you know, you can find him. He's pretty present on Twitter and things like that of doing guides to Amazon. Uh, he put in LinkedIn that he's putting out a my Amazon guy's GPT, so mag GPT. Um, and what he's trying to uh, train it to is to answer common questions about Amazon that people have. Mm-hmm. And that was just an interesting test. It's an interesting application for it. So we're kind of, we'll be watching that. And he said it's going to launch. He's going to push that out sometime in the next couple of weeks, which means in April. Um, so that'll be an interesting use case. And he's using the OpenAI chat GPT engine for it. Um, but uh, that'll be an interesting use case to watch. I'm also watching if Bard becomes a real player because right now Bard, Bard have you, launched. Have you used it? I got an invitation and I applied for it. It said you can use it. And then I just haven't, I haven't gotten onto it. Same, and I've been reading more of the reports of people kind of poking at it for being not as good as OpenAI. And uh, the CEO of Google admitted yeah. it's not it's not up to par. We need to make significant changes before it catches up. Yeah, uh, you know, and the, but the thing, if they can make changes in how it works, they have access to better data than OpenAI does, right? So the ceiling is higher, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not as good a tool by any even by google's own admission right now yeah that said they're not going away from that right anytime soon right right? there's also going to be there's also people making a lot of claims about how ai was used to produce their product or 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 help their service right and we're seeing a lot of that and the ftc did announce that they're going to crack down on ai-based claims and marketing um 
I'm not sure why you'd really want to promote that just yet to say our customer support is AI based at this point mm-hmm. when people really want like a human, a human support person to call anyways. Yeah. But they're, the FTC did make a big deal about they're going to crack down on AI claims and some of the AI claims they say are pretty spurious. It's like somebody's using a spreadsheet to calculate something and they're saying that's an AI driven solution and it's just a spreadsheet, right? <laughs> yeah. So we're seeing some of that come out. Yep. Um, yep. I had a, I had a small one here, um, not like a big thing for Q2, but I, so if, if you're in this industry, you get hit with a lot of cold email outreach. I sorted my March inbox, just my company one, not even my personal one, which gets a ton of this too, but my company one. And I had 434 versions of emails with quick question at the subject line. Yeah. And I just want to know who is training all these VAs and cold to put quick question in the subject line because you might as well just put please delete on that right now. Um, please delete. Please delete actually might be a better. <laughs> I might open some of the please delete ones. <laughs> yeah. um, but delete. right now, quick question, what that means to me is it's not a quick question. You're trying to cold sell me something. You're trying to set me up for a phone call. It's like it's not, it's, it's a lie from the start is what it is. But I've never seen so many cold email outreach people use the same exact subject line. And yeah. the whole quick question thing, I'd, it, somewhere somebody tested it and said it worked. And yeah, somebody said it worked when, when it really was a quick question. And now everybody just uses it by default. 434 in, a, in one month. And that's not counting the ones I just deleted out of hand because I get tired of seeing them, right? Yeah. Uh, more so, important stuff, though. There's a lot of Amazon things we're looking forward to in Q2. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that we talked about on the last podcast was the yeah. uh, cyber crimes unit uh, at Amazon and uh, had brought suit against uh, sellers for false IP claims uh, in the thousands and thousands of of claims that uh, were uh, false. And so um, I'm interested to see how that develops. These and- I want to see more. This is the first suit of that type they ever filed, right? Yep. And we've all known this is an issue for a long time because we've had products that get suspended or get temporarily banned from Amazon because Amazon says we violated IP when we may own the trademark. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, you know, we either manufacture or we're working with the company that manufactures it. There's no way we could right. have an IP violation. Right. But we've had to go fight those. Um, and so we know that's pretty frequent. The question is, does Amazon get tougher on this? Do we see more of this? Right. That's going to be the question for me. Yeah, and I'm like just thinking back as a lot. These types of things, the the lawsuits and things like that, tend to like make a splash a little bit when they come into, uh, get announced, go dark for quite a while, and then if there's anything meaningful, there there might be another news cycle thing that hits off of it, or maybe not. We may never. Other than just knowing that this is a thing that's happening, I'm 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 interested to see, you know, how this plays itself out. Will it be a Q two? Uh, thing or will it be long into the I end of the year? I bet as it plays out through the year. I'm hoping to see more of these kinds of lawsuits and more of these things announced. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did, you know, we did a couple podcasts ago, a big, big thing on brand registry and Amazon and everything they've done to try and help protect IP. So they've made progress on it, but it's still a huge problem. And last week, a big deal, and this is on Twitter, a big deal was um, a new black hat technique that was being unearthed by by at least other sellers, where uh, black hatters would use social engineering call support or whatever else claim that a product was really their IP 
get the brand name switched on a product, brand name switched to something they held a trademark for, some you know random brand they created or something that was a misspelled version of the real brand, and then claim ownership of it and then kick the real seller off or block the real seller. Um, and that that was becoming, and this is probably related to what the cyber crimes unit is looking for, but it's a new spin on it. And, you know, this is a, it, what's interesting on this is black hat sellers using brand registry against, yeah, you know, what's the tool that's meant to protect, they're using it to attack the legit folks on it. So yeah. there's obviously, and this came out after the lawsuit. Um, and so there's obviously more work to be done at Amazon and more work done in protecting this and you know, they're trying to show and they've been trying to show for a couple of years now they're very serious about this uh, you know they didn't stop everything there's obviously loopholes i want to see continued work on this yeah yeah and uh you know so i was telling somebody uh just last night i'm like uh, i've become more cynical of uh of the average uh, human because i see things like this and i go this is just some shady shady actions from somebody to yeah. just try to get it so get we're such e-commerce buy. nerds that our action hero movie is is like keanu reeves going in and finding a black hat seller and like <laughs> wiping them all out <laughs> that that would be that would be my story i would i would watch that arresting movie them too. not yeah. no no violence just arresting them all but um but yeah it's like I, a little pain if he wants to yeah a little pain on the way through there but yeah our action movie would be about discovering that and then going and and uh taking them uh, out just of the business of, of uh, harming legit sellers. Yeah, and then I think the other thing, and I'm going to jump here, uh, the one that I'm interested in, another Amazon topic is just inventory rules. I We haven't played around. It's really early in terms of the capacity manager and bidding on space, and yes. we're not to the Q4, quite to the Q4 um, high time for inventory storage. Uh, but how does how does the bidding look like for inventory caps? How and that's been very quiet. I mean, there's yeah. been nothing that I've seen really talked about because this is the bidding system is now in place. If you don't think your cap is high enough, you can go bid for extra space. I think what's happening right now, though, is that the penalties that are being put in place for having too much inventory at Amazon are so high that all the activity I've seen is about people trying to reduce their inventory at Amazon and nobody's fighting for more space because you could bid for right. that space and then get penalized for having too much yeah. um, inventory up there. So, you know, I'm eager to hear if anybody's using that bidding for more inventory space. I just, I've seen almost no chatter about that, even though that was the big hype when all of this was announced back in January. Yeah. around that. How's that going to work? Right now, all the panic and hype is about uh, people trying to get inventory out of Amazon and reduce their inventory count. In fact, on one of our larger partners, what we saw last week was we saw sales drop for them. And this is a partner that has a lot of third-party um, third other sellers on it, resellers that mm -hmm. undercut them at times. And we saw some of the bigger resellers that we fight with just totally bought, put, push their product price to the floor. Like, really? Like cut their product price by... 30, 40, 50% just to, and we think it, and it was all done prior to April 1 and then April 1, they kind of moved their price back up. Mm -hmm. But it was a, we just need to clear product at all costs. We saw a lot of that over the last 10 days of March. Yeah. And it, it and we saw it first because it affected our sales and we were wondering what went on and we realized, okay, it's because These all the undercutters are, were clearing yeah. out, other third parties that sometimes undercut right. were just clearing out their inventory. Yep. And that was one tactic we saw. We saw a lot of panic moving with that 
And we've obviously done a lot of work with our own partners about getting product kind of clean, getting inventory cleaned up. But I think the focus has been more on avoiding well, the penalties. And I guess the question, across the accounts that I manage, I, I don't think I've run into an issue where our Amazon has restricted our inventory uh, capacity to the point where it's hurting our sales because we don't have enough capacity to, to sell. If no, not yet. Sense. And so, and I don't know if you're seeing the same thing on, on the accounts that you manage. If if inventory capacity is where you're running up against no, we're, that, we're but, not. Nothing that I touch is any. No account is bumping up against the capacity. What they are, the challenges are all. We have aged it, inventory. How yep. do we reduce it down? Or we have some excess, or we have some slow moving inventory. How do we get it out of there? What's the smartest path? Yes. And that's been, we've been working on that for the last couple of months. Um, the two penalties that come in, by the way, that are relevant right now is on April 1st. So we're recording this on a Friday. That was month, it was uh, over the weekend, Saturday, this came in. Uh, but April 1st is when the storage utilization rate surcharge, so it's a mouthful, uh, came into place. And that basically means if you have more than 26 weeks of product on hand, your storage fees at Amazon essentially doubled. If you had 39 weeks or more, your storage fees went up even higher. Um, we tend to manage, we, we tend to shoot for a goal of seven to eight weeks of inventory on most things. And most of our partner, you have a few things to run over, but everything I was looking at, we were between eight and 10 weeks. So mm -hmm. we were okay. Yeah. Um, the other one that comes into place is the aged inventory surcharge. And that goes into action on the 15th. So coming up next week. Um, and penalties, the, the, the highlights there, and we covered this a lot the last week, but the penalties now started 180 days aged, where they used to not start until 270 days aged. So there's an earlier penalty that kicks in, and the penalties are steeper, in some cases doubling or tripling what they used to be before. So they can be pretty steep, and it's charged a certain rate by cubic foot. Um, so you want to avoid that up to... 365 days is $6.90 per cubic foot. And you can run up a big bill pretty quickly on that if you're renting that monthly. So yep. those come into place on the 15th. That's when that starts getting tracked. Um, and so that's why everybody right now, you know, the first, April 1st was the first date. That was the, if you have just too much inventory in total. And then the 15th of April is when the aged inventory surcharge starts. That's why we saw a lot of people trying to clear out inventory. Coupled with this, um, you know, what, what a lot of brands have done and we've done is just remove some things that, hey, we, too much of this product got shipped in. It's not going to move in time. It's going to start taking penalties. We've had removal orders in since January 1st on yeah. some things that have still, we're still waiting for product to come back. And, and the challenge right now is when is that going to get better? And we have talked to Amazon about it. Amazon has said, yes, everybody tried to remove product at once <laughs> as soon as we announced these new rates. And we're backed up and we're yeah. backed up in the order of a couple months. And so the complaint that's starting to get louder is sellers complaining, wait, you're penalizing me now for having age or slow moving inventory, but I've been trying to move it for months. Yeah. And so you've charged me already for the removals in some cases, but now you're charging me because it's still there and that's nothing I can control Amazon. So is there relief on that? Um, we'll see. That's kind of a little, yep. if you're, if you're, into the drama and the pageantry of inventory management. Um, that's, that's a little bit of drama right now. It's big. And we've had several, we had some clients uh, been able to get inventory back successfully, but there's also been a, a number of that 
the inventory removal orders just get canceled and yeah. nothing, nothing happens. Well, so. that's we've seen it. We've gotten a bunch of the inventory we were trying to remove back, um, and then there's a chunk of it that just won't leave Amazon for some reason, and we can't get it back out. Um, and what we've discovered, um, and we're we have many many cases open with Amazon of this, is we'll issue a removal order, or our partner will, and then some of it may be removed. And then Amazon will then cancel the order. Um, and we'll go back. We only find out because we go to check on the removal orders. And we find that Amazon's marked it closed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not closed. It hasn't been removed yet. Um, and we have to refile it. Back on There's- one line of product, which is a holiday product that we're trying to get removed because it's obviously not selling now. There has been 20 different removal orders issued since January. And Amazon keeps removing a few units or not removing any, then canceling it, and we keep on refiling it. So we're refiling right now a couple times a week. Yeah. Uh, and it gets canceled very quickly, and we refile it very quickly. And this is kind of a silly process. So it's, you know, Amazon support people are usually graded on how fast they clear cases, and that does create problems, well-documented problems. And I, and I don't know if that's the case here, but it feels like the case might be somebody's just trying to get their clearance rate up by marking these things closed and not so it's it's not a remove inventory case that's or request that's now open for two months it's one that it was open for a couple days and got closed down um but that doesn't mean it's finished you know it it feels like this might be people gaming their uh their internal scores and grades yeah we run into this problem before yep uh let's see here anything else on the amazon Uh, just a quick prime day uh Deals need to be submitted by the 28th um, and inventory needs to be at Amazon for this by the 15th of June and that's 28th of April and then the 15th of June if you're participating in any of that and there's going to be, we won't go into a lot here, but there's going to be a lot of buzz around Amazon starting to accept products for non-Amazon products on the marketplace. Um, they've talked about that. Say that again. Amazon accepting products for so, non-Amazon? What? Amazon's now, because it's becoming such a big marketing platform, is now, you know, it used to be all the ads were always ads for things that you could buy on Amazon. Well, they're starting to take ad buys for things that you can't buy on Amazon. Just ad space, right? Hmm. Um, and they're also promising for their bigger partners that uh, you'll be able to, and they're beta testing this in the fourth quarter, you'll be able to now track whether your Amazon advertising helps drive in-store visits. Um, and so that's a beta program that's launching in the second quarter that we'll probably start hearing more about, but they're trying to get the kind of full loop because Walmart's doing this, right? Walmart, Walmart was way ahead of this announcing they were working on this last year. Amazon's been a little slower on it, but I think we'll hear more about that during Q2 because that's Q2 is when the beta rolls out for Amazon on trying to tie um, digital advertising to in-store traffic is what they're trying to do. Hmm. so that'll be interesting but not much more to share at this point on it they also have their earnings call coming up on the 27th the last earnings call which was in january was quickly followed by twenty-seven thousand layoffs and massive changes to things like inventory penalties and everything else so it was it was followed by a lot of changes and disruption and it was also the first earnings period where they announced that the marketplace lost money mm-hmm. so a lot of uh a lot of us, including me, will be eager to hear what kind of comes out on the 27th. But yeah, that's we don't need to cover any more about Amazon. We've talked a ton about it. Yep. You know, if I'm looking at the next topic here, room for one, maybe two more. 
just quick recession impact. You know, it's really tough. And I've seen some chatter about this on Twitter is, you know, what leading indicators do we have that can help us make better decisions as physical products companies, you know, to make sure that we're, uh, um, monitoring the recession. And, and I, I don't, I don't have a ton on this other than I just, I'm interested to see, you know, what types of changes happen in, in Q2 and, um, how do, uh, brands position themselves to be able to spend through the economic anticipated economic downturn. One of my favorite people uh, has told me many, multiple times uh, that uh, the, it's the people, the brands that can afford to spend through uh, economic downturns are the ones that usually come out on the other side in a good position. Tim, do you know who, who told who's told me that? Um, I has I, I have said that, but I'm not sure if I'm say, the person you're you. talking about. It's you, um, uh, yeah. yeah. So quoting Tim, Tim McDougal, there is you know how do brands you know make sure that they've got the money in the coffers to be able to uh, spend and be able to continue to pursue uh, customer acquisition and, and things that they need to be able to grow through well, the recession. And, and the classic marketing line of this, and this is part of why we call the podcast the Ecomasaurus Podcast because my marketing time goes way back to pre-digital. <laughs> um, but the classic marketing line on this was always that, you know, when the market's growing, you're just going to grow with the market. You kind of spend, you spend to kind of hold your share in the market, but you grow with the market. When, the, when there's a recession though, that's when a lot of other advertisers pull out and that's when you spend to grow share. You may not grow total volume because the market's down, but you spend to grow share and you're going to then reap the benefits of that increased share once the market rebounds, which it always does. And the ones who, in hindsight, when you look at any study on it, the ones who do well coming out of a recession are the ones who spent the time during the recession keeping their spend up and growing their share Mm -hmm. and taking advantage of just less ad impression competition from everybody else. And I think that's going to be the the ones who follow that during any economic downturn we have here are going to be the ones who come out ahead on that one. Um, there is going to be a little uh, more skepticism during this recession because it's already starting put against direct-to-consumer brands, the venture-funded ones. So there was a big discussion, a quick aside, on, uh, and Ben Kogan was the Twitter, uh, Twitter writer that he's also a, an analyst that put this together, but basically pointing out that all of these big venture-backed direct-to-consumer companies, you know, Warby Parker and a bunch of others that are in this list, um, that were kind of born or got their venture back in right before or during the pandemic kind of things. Um, all of them have lost like 90 to 90% of their market value. Um, and just kind of going on about how investors are souring on this and there could be repercussions for other, yeah, for other product companies that are, that are looking for an exit at some point because the market's really soured on this. Um, and we had a discussion in our Slack, right? About what does this mean? It, yep. And, and the first reaction for some of our team, I should say, was, oh, this guy just hates e-commerce for products. <laughs> this guy is supposed to do this. It's really, he well, doesn't. Um, ben Gogan doesn't hate that, or he, he may, I don't know him, but, but that wasn't what he was saying. Um, he was pointing to the venture backing behind these companies. And um, to me, you know, direct to consumer stuff is just as strong as it was. But the venture, when you have a huge influx of $100 million in venture capital, people got sloppy. Mm-hmm. And my take, was that those companies that were listed treated their company like a software company where if you're doing a software startup, you take a bunch of venture money, you lose a ton of money at the start while you're building your product out and getting your first users. But then once you start getting users and the product's built, 
then you start rate. If you've gotten scale with customers, then you make a ton of profit because it doesn't cost you any more to mm-hmm. for if if you're downloading ten apps or a, a million apps. Well, it doesn't there's not a lot of incremental cost structure. There's a ton of incremental revenue. So in software companies, you lose a lot of money at first with your investment, and then you make it. So you scale first, and then you worry about the profitability afterwards. You want to have a path to profitability, mm-hmm. but you scale first, and the profitability comes afterwards. In a products company. You know, you might save if you're Allbirds, which is one of the ones that list, you might be able to scale and cut your cost of goods, your cost to produce a shoe down by 10% as -hmm. you scale. But if you're not profitable at the start, you don't scale it and then figure out profitability. You got to be, you got to have your profit worked out up front and then you figure out scaling if you're a products company, because your costs don't drop once you launch the, your costs keep on going up. And um, you can overproduce, you know, things that you don't have in a software company. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not at a problem because, oh my gosh, we produced, we produced a million copies of Microsoft Word and what do we do? You yeah. know, we have ex- like, you, that's not the way it works. They're all downloads. In a product company, you produce a million of this type of shoe and they don't sell. You're right. sunk. Yep. And I think that's kind of what happened is people got the investors who were involved treated them like software companies. The founders got in the mentality of software companies. We're just going to grow at all costs. It's okay to lose money. And losing sight of, you know, direct-to-consumer product companies need to have that profit model in mind at the start, really, before that takes priority over scaling. And I think they just got it upside down. And I yeah. think that's the case with a lot of these companies. Yeah, and, and something on that's interesting about this is like how the money flows into direct-to-consumer uh, channels, you know, there's. It, it seems like there was a lot of money in the e-commerce, you know, sphere in terms of ads and and uh, product development and just different. You know, there's just a lot of money yeah. in there because people were chasing after these massive, you know, returns. Like you're like you're talking about. You know, if that dries up, how does that impact? You know, uh, advertising platforms. How does that Im- impact? Like you said you know, these small to medium sized mm-hmm. products companies, you know, um, are they able to, to exit? Yeah. Because I know there's a lot of, a lot of products companies out there. The whole goal is to get to, to roll it up and, yeah, like and either I think, acquire. And with or, ours, because we, we focus heavily on profitability, right? How do you, uh, and, and you're not going to be super profitable while you're growing, but you need to have that path in mind. You need to be able to demonstrate that you can be profitable, right? From the start on a unit level. And I think some of these, like if you go through like Peloton's pitch to investors, I think what it said was like, we're not a product company, we're a, we're a platform. Yeah. And, you know, they were even trying to reposition themselves as, as not products companies. And I think that was, a, they lost sight of what, you know, maybe that worked to help sell investors, but it doesn't work when you actually believe that when you run your business. Yeah. Um, so other quick things we should hit here. So we don't much to say about it because it's plenty covered elsewhere, but the whole Google Analytics transition to, from Google Universal Analytics to GA4. GA4 is just going to cease to, I mean, it's not going to cease to exist, but it's going to stop gathering data on July 1. So there's, if you are heavily driven by SEO, uh, for example, there's a lot of, tra- and there's a lot of panic because we, we work with a lot of people right now that are heavily panicking about how they transition to GA4. It's not as intuitive. There's a learning curve involved. The deadline's approaching. This was the the friendly reminder that I got to send to about three clients this over the last couple of weeks of, oh, Universal Analytics is going away. Uh, yep, um, I talked about this last yes. July uh, when we t- go in ahead and set up GA4, and I really didn't have a clue what was going on, and started co- collecting data. So you know, hopefully you you're in the same boat. 
If not, you know, there's some things like, you know, the Shopify GA4 integration went live in, in March. So hopefully you're able to to make the get this information start collecting it so that yeah. uh, you know you're you're not uh, bl- running blind. Uh, and and I've already to- deal with this week. One of my things I had to work through was a lot of uh, additional people on a team for a very SEO driven client. We have got access to GA4, and they started citing all kinds of crazy data from GA4 that was wrong um, because GA4 looks at things differently, and they you know they they weren't up to speed yet. And we will get them up to speed on how to look at data in GA4. But they were looking at conversions, saying our conversions are through the roof. This is great. Well, GA4 counts anything as a conversion. A page view yes. is a conversion in GA4 language. So they were looking at, man, we got we got a thousand visits on this page, and we got we got one eleven hundred conversions. This is amazing. <laughs> it's like, well, that just means we got a Hold thousand a page views. Yeah, and then you know we got a hundred clicks on other things on there. But it's anything as a conversion in that you have to go under and figure out what type of conversion event it was. And that's like a big difference from where universal analytics. So there's going to be some chaos as we get through that. Um, Any last things we want to bring up? I do. TikTok is going to be a story. So we should probably at least mention that. Yeah. Um, You know, it's fighting some appearances in Congress where calls for TikTok to be banned unless it, unless the, the, the Chinese, unless it divests from the Chinese owners of this or the, 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 the portion that is owned by uh, Chinese government. By Chinese government. I don't know, is it Chinese government or just Chinese companies? Uh, I don't know. We may have to Any, come back the, to that. The call was unless uh, Congress can be assured that it's not transferring user data back to China, that uh, they want a TikTok ban. So TikTok's been running around trying to assure its advertisers that it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Advertisers are not totally convinced of that. Uh, by the way, threats to ban TikTok go back to the start of Trump's presidency. So it's been going, this talk's been going on for a while. Almost as long as TikTok has been a, been a thing. So Yes, but what has happened is a lot of, and then there was an analyst report out um, last week saying there was a lot of marketers are now looking heavily at things like YouTube Shorts and Instagram Reels as replacements for TikTok. Yeah. Um, if, the, if, their TikTok, if TikTok goes away, where do they replace that performance? And YouTube Shorts has made pretty big gains. Um, Instagram Reels has had its issues and problems. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I, that's it's regardless. It's going to be an interesting thing to yeah. watch because I've heard mixed results on and TikTok ads. And if the TikTok ads aren't effective, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, and, and this is coming from marketers say, "No, TikTok is working for me, right?" So oh, I need really. To, so if it goes away, I need to figure out where I replace that mm-hmm. that uh, that acquisition. Um, the interesting thing, though, because a lot of them, uh, the first reaction was, well, I'll just move it to YouTube. And as small as TikTok, I mean, TikTok's been a big news, but it's, it's, it's 2.5% of the digital ad market in the U.S. Um, that's the same as YouTube. Mm, There's really? not like you can't move all your budget to YouTube shorts because right. you all YouTube of YouTube budget, is about, you know, yeah. is at what, and Google is much, much bigger than TikTok. But yeah. YouTube, um, surprisingly, not a lot bigger from an ad spent from an ad revenue standpoint than TikTok is at this point. Mm. And so that was kind of the other aha was there's not enough eyeballs on things like YouTube shorts. Now, if TikTok goes away and that becomes the new TikTok, then maybe, mm-hmm. um, but there's not enough, like there's not enough ad impressions there to move everything over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just kind of an interesting part. Uh, it was kind of a, like, I should know this, but didn't that, that TikTok you know, as much as we say TikTok's still small, well, it's it was about the same size as YouTube mm-hmm. from an ad standpoint. That's 
that was kind of interesting for me because YouTube's been around so much longer and has so much more content on it. Yep. Um, but they were about even on it. Anything else we want to cover here? The very end here? And we got some conferences coming up. Um, White Label Expo, May 3rd and 4th, Seller Summit, the 4th through 6th, SellerCon in Austin, June 1st through. There's a lot of good, good, uh, uh, conferences coming up and, you know, really getting interesting to see how these come, you know, full circle post post COVID. Now we're kind of clear of all that. We can, yeah, we're uh, starting to see real conferences with live people and not, um, not here's your digital login at this yeah. point. So that'll be interesting. And, and one more small item is just the whole, um, you know, Amazon did their pay with prime launch Yeah, that, uh, they announced with a lot of fanfare. Then Shopify said, we're not allowing it. So it's kind of been, stunted yep. at the very start. I think uh, some other marketing platforms that compete with Shopify have allowed it, but Shopify is the is the big gorilla in that space. And what happens with that? That seems like it's in a standoff right now and it feels like something's going to happen in Q2 there, but we'll watch that as a minor point too. Yep, yep. So lots of, of fun stuff. I know we'll have a, a recap at the end of, of Q2. We'll have to come back to this episode and uh, see how things uh, you know kind of work their way out here. But... Um, lots of good stuff. Appreciate you, Tim. Thanks for everything. I appreciate you, the listener. Hope you enjoyed this content. If you did, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a share, uh, and we will catch you again next time. Mm-hmm.